Well, thank you all for having me. What a joy it is to come here to the great state of Texas. You're welcome for beating Baylor, by the way. So before we get started, we've got to deal with the elephant in the room. I am not a Jedi. I'm clear on this. Just want to make sure that we're clear on this. I am also not Moses. Okay? No beard. Okay? Not a Muslim, different faith, worship God, not what I am. Most of all, I'm not Jesus. It's not who I am. I say all this because I've been asked each of those things. Yes. As well as many others I will not repeat in church. Yes. Many people are very confused as to what I'm wearing. Confused as to what the heck I'm doing. Is there a feudal festival in town? Where's the play? I uh, was on campus at University of Georgia last week and we had a tabling thing. And uh, it's a thing where they put all tables out with all the organizations, you get to meet people. And so I'm standing there among all these non-Catholics and one woman comes up, she's like, nice costume. I said, well, thank you. I'm a Franciscan friar and a, uh, a Catholic priest. She's like, yeah, you are. <laughs> I said, yeah, I, I said I am. I'm glad you're enthusiastic. Yeah, so I get some strange looks sometimes. I get some strange questions. Um, the way I'm dressed is not because of Jesus specifically, not because of Moses, not because I'm in a play, but because I'm a follower of Jesus in the way of St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis was a man who wanted to be poor and humble, and so he lived as the poor and humble did. What I'm wearing is literally what the poor people the, the people who didn't have a whole lot wore in the 13th century. It's a style that was never in style, and so it's never gone out of style. <laughs> it's just a sackcloth. That's literally all it is. And there's a rope here. He couldn't afford a belt. He didn't want to be all highfalutin like those belt wearers. No, he just got a rope and tied it up. And so then we have these three knots here. Now, I got a question earlier as to what these are. These are not symbolic of the Trinity, although that's often a good guess. They're symbolic of the three vows we take. Poverty, chastity, and obedience. Or as we like to say, no money, no honey, and do what you're told. <laughs> it's a tough life, yeah. life I tell you. But Francis was also a very practical man. So we were travelers, right? We're preachers, just like the Dominicans, same time we went out on missions. And so when you go out on missions, the weather is not always great in Northern Europe not always great in the mountains. And so Francis made sure that our habit was practical. You know, so you put on a hood, you know, cover up all the, uh, all the rain. Uh, we've got really stylish shoes. Gotta love the chacos. Not standard issue, you can wear whatever you want. But it's also, it's real practical. You know we've got uh, pockets here. Yeah. Got a pocket here. Young and old, everyone always loves that. Yeah. What this is called is a habit. A habit coming from the Latin habitus, which is quite literally a way of life. It shares the same thing that we do over and over again. And so when I put this on, 
It's about what I live. It's symbolic of who I am, and it reminds me who I'm supposed to be. And let me tell you, if everyone in the world wore a habit, I think the world would be a better place. Trust me, it'd be a much better place. Driving in a habit is a very different experience. Because you drive and someone cuts you off, and your first reaction is not charitable. You start thinking, oh, I'm going to, uh, and then you look down and you realize, oh, man of God, humility, peace. Please, go, go, sir. Yes. Our world would be a much better place. I think about when I walk around. You know, most people, they got their headbuds in, they're looking, uh, they're looking down, whatever headbuds, earbuds, in their heads. No one makes eye contact, right? Trust me, when someone who looks like me walks down the street, people look at you. You attract attention, and so for me, I'm generally an introverted person. I love being in front of groups like this, but it's gonna exhaust me, and I'll go to sleep right after this. I don't, I'm not all that outgoing sometimes, and so when people are forced to look at me, I figure, well, I might as well smile back. I might as well say hello. I have a, a priest brother that, uh, he was at a restaurant once, and people just kept staring at me, staring at me. He thought it was kind of weird. So he just got up, sat down at their table. Hi, I can tell you're interested. Do you want to talk? <laughs> not, not exactly preferred, but it opens us up. It allows us to be more social. And what about, you know, those near occasions of sin, right? Looking at things you're not supposed to be looking at, going to seedy places, uh, not in your habit. You definitely think twice about those things. It keeps you, it keeps me reminded of who I am. And so I never do that. Because you imagine if I got caught doing something bad in this? Can you imagine the conversation I'd have to call with my father provincial? Uh, father Kevin, you know how you're always talking about you know, making a splash in the world and a lot of promotion and getting on the news? Well, I've got some good news for you. Yeah, this would be an awkward conversation that I never want to have. And so the habit reminds me of who I am. And whenever I want to do bad things, I just take it off, right? No, 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 that's not the way, that's not the way it works. No. And really, that's not the way it could work. Because this is not just an external, it's not just some, a costume that I wear. It is my way of life. It is something I put on that becomes a part of me so that even when I'm not wearing it, it's had an effect on me. I like to think of the habit as kind of the bumpers in bumper bowling, you know? You go down and you start off by having all these strict things that you know you can't do. And so you can bowl it, oh, bang, 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 you still got some pins. But after a while, after wearing it for many, many years, practicing and practicing, you realize that you don't need those bumpers anymore. I could take this habit off, and I often do. I go to the gym, I go out to eat, I hang out and relax. And it doesn't mean that I'm a different person. This is an external. It's a symbol of the life that I live. And it helps me, for sure. But this is not what's most important. It's the life that I put on. It's the habit of what I live, not necessarily the habit of what I wear. And so, why do I bring this up? Is this secretly a vocation talk? No, not ex well, yes, everything's a vocation talk, but no, that's not what tonight is. Tonight we're talking about vices and virtues. And quite literally, vices and virtues, they're nothing more than habits. They're things that we put on over and over again. 
They're those natural things that we do probably without even thinking. Our vices and our virtues are very much like the habit that I wear. They define what we do, who we are. We don't even have to think about it sometimes. And so as we jump into this vice and virtue thing, I want to start with a question. Which person do you think is holier? I'll let you raise your hand. We've got person A, who does what is good, and it's really easy, and they like doing it, and it takes no effort at all. Or the person who does what is good, but it's really hard, and they have to make lots of sacrifices, and it's just difficult, but they do it anyway. Who thinks the person number one is holier? Who thinks person number two is holier? Hmm, interesting. You know, this is commonly, commonly the answer that people give. Um, and you often think, well, this is just an opinion question, right? We don't know which one is holier. And yeah, okay, we don't know what they're doing. We'll say apples to apples, it's the same thing. When it's just a matter of which is easier and which is harder, our moral theology, our Catholic tradition, teaches us that person A is actually holier. And this might seem strange to us, because isn't this person making a much bigger sacrifice? Aren't they trying a lot harder? Well, yeah, but that's a kind of a problem, right? They have to try a whole lot harder. There are a lot of things in their life getting in the way that they have to overcome. That is not what we prefer. This is what we prefer. We prefer it to be easy. We prefer it to be the thing we want to do. We want to do the good, right? We don't want to do the bad and then sometimes do the good. Our Catholic tradition says that the goodness should emanate from us and that's what we should want to do. Because here's the thing, when we want to do bad, we may do good, and that's great, but we'll always have to fight against our natural will. We may say, nope, I, I'm good, I don't want to do that bad thing, but there's a part of us deep down inside that says, come on, just press that red button. Don't, don't let someone tell you what to do, just do it. You'll be fine. And our intellect, our will, our over here says, oh, no, 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 I don't want that. But there's that tension. And there will always be that tension as long as our will is oriented towards something good. As long as we have a habit that orients us to do something that we know we shouldn't do. I am trying to eat healthier. This is a, an awful thing about becoming an adult. I know that I wear this Franciscan habit. It looks good when you fill it in, right? <laughs> I try I, just a few more years with a normal body, okay? And so I've been trying to eat vegetables. I've been trying to eat healthy. And for the most part, I'm able to say, no, thank you. No, no, I don't want that. But you put a pile of cookies right in front of me, my eyes go red. And I, I eat four before I even realize what's happened. My intellect, my mind knows that I shouldn't do that. It's bad for me. But deep down, there's that desire for chocolate chip cookies. Oh, I want all the cookies. And I might win some battles, but I might lose some battles as well. And this is where we struggle with holiness. When we don't desire what is good, we will ultimately stumble sometimes. We will always have that fight. What does St. Paul say? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knows what he wants to do. He even says this, how annoyed he is with his own sin. I know what's right, 
I know what it is I want to do, and yet I do what I do not want to do. Anyone here ever experienced that like St. Paul, just him? No? Yeah. We do that all the time, right? We know what we should want, but it's more difficult. There's something deep down inside of us that wants something else. And we may win, we may lose, but this is the difficulty. This is what we must always overcome and why we say the person who loves what is good is holier. Because they're not just godly on the outside, but godly on the inside, in their heart, and godly in their habits. It comes naturally to do what's good. Maybe that makes sense, maybe it doesn't. Let's try a different example. We all like SEC football, right? Yeah. We all like Aggie athletics, go sports. Love it. Uh-huh. Which is the better athlete? The one who does really well and doesn't even have to think about it, doesn't even have to practice anymore, or the one who does well but has to think about all the mechanics all the time. All right, keep your elbow in, arm up, twist, no, don't fall back. They might get it, they might not. Clearly, it's the first one, right? Clearly, it's the person who's put in thousands of hours of practicing, throwing the ball over and over and over, getting the exact same rotation, exact same balance, elbow, shoulders, all in the right place. You can throw them into any situation, flip them over, and they'll still be able to catch the ball, still be able to hit the ball. It comes second nature. They don't even have to think about it. They are clearly the better athlete, yes? They are clearly the one that you want as quarterback, as shortstop, as goalie, because they've incorporated what is good into their very being. The person who has to think about it can get the good results sometimes, but ultimately they might not. They've trained themselves with bad habits over and over again that sometimes they're gonna get it wrong. This is what virtues and vices are. This is what we do that trains us to want the good or to fall to the bad. It's a habit. It's something that doesn't come naturally but is, we train over and over and over again. When we think of virtues and vices, we have to think of our own habits. There are, in some ways, um, inhibitions to your will. They are, in some ways, freedoms. You can think, and many of us do think, that we are completely free, right? We think that we can do anything that we want. Well, if I wanted to, if I set my mind to it, I could do that. Eh, no, sorry. The fact of the matter is you've been doing something for 20 years of your life. The way that you talk, the way that you walk, the way that you interact with people. You've grown into a habit that really defines how you're going to respond to things. How you're going to express yourself in certain situations. And so, when you find yourself stressed, if you're healthy, if you're filled with virtues, well then, you're going to respond in a good way. Take a deep breath. You go to prayer, trust in God. You respond with love when people are annoying to you, when they hate you, when they persecute you. That's what a person who's trained in virtues does. But what happens if we haven't done that? What happens in those stressful situations when we've trained ourselves to seek the answer to our question in the wrong places? Well, then I'm going to seek that cookie. I'm going to go 
to drugs or alcohol, to sex, to anger, to violence. I'm going to lash out and gossip. That's the way that I've learned. It's my defense mechanism. When this happens, this protects me. And we do this over and over and over again until we don't even realize it. That when we're stressed, oh my gosh, I've already eaten six cookies. I didn't even realize it. It becomes so ingrained into who we are, and so we need to take a step back. The things with vices and virtues is they're not good or bad, sinful in and of themselves. It's that they lead us to sins without even realizing it. And this, this should be a wake-up call for us. This should leave us very uncomfortable, right? That we can sin without even consciously thinking about doing it. It should also give us some hope, right? That we can do great things without even having to try. And so, how do we do this? How do we grow in virtue? <coughs> how do we let go of vices? <coughs> Excuse me. Well, I want to offer four things that we can do. The first is you start with evaluating your life. Knowledge is power, right? <coughs> That's, I guess, not. Maybe. It's going to be a vice. It's not good. <clears throat> so we do an examination of conscience, right? We always look at our sins. We look at the end product of what we've done. But the fact of the matter is that sin is step five. Sin is the result of a lot of things that came before it. But what about steps one, two, three, and four? Do we ever go back and ask, what situations did I put myself in? Why did I find myself there? Were there other factors that I didn't even realize? So often, we have no self-awareness. I'm sorry to say, we just don't even know who we are sometimes. And so sometimes it takes that help from the community, from prayer, to look at the cardinal virtues, to look at the theological virtues, to actually name them and say, do I actually live these? Or might there be a, a fall along the way? Because, you know, it starts with just, I looked at that person and they made me smile. And then it goes to the next step, which is you think about them later. And then the next step is you think about them inappropriately later. And then little by little, you get to that bad sin at the end. It started with the very beginning. It started with a small vice that you probably didn't even realize you were doing. It's time to evaluate where did we start? Where did that seed begin to grow? This is often an issue in confession, where people come in and say, oh, it's the same thing over and over. I keep trying and trying, and I can't figure it out. And so I ask them, well, what situations were you in? What was your disposition? Go back further and further. We find that there might be some causes there. And so evaluate your, your, your life. Bring it to prayer. Ask yourself, what's the bigger picture? Don't just focus on the sin. Focus on everything that's related to it. Because the second thing is that we need more regularity with our lives. I think that vices are like conspiracy theories. Yes? Once you fall for one, you're likely to fall from all. That's just the way things work. If you have a disposition for one, you're gonna do a lot of the others. And so I often ask people when they come to confession, what's going on here? You did this sin. Okay, um, great, so whatever it is, you're gossiping, it might be pornography, it might be stealing, whatever. 
this lack of will. And so I said, well, what's your prayer life like? What's your, uh, what's your eating habits like? What's your schoolwork like? What we find is that it's not simply a matter of this one sin, but a problem with impulse control. Often it's something much more basic that when we look out and see something we want, we just take it. This is a problem because how are we going to deal with pornography and masturbation? How are we going to deal with gossip and tearing each other down? Very serious things if we can't even stop eating the cookie. If we can't even stop pressing the snooze button 30 times in the morning. How easy it is to give in to the passions of the little things. If we want to get over the big vices, we got to look at all the little ones underneath. And so we got to evaluate the causes, we got to regulate our lives. We also have to start somewhere and stick to it. I often said growing up that my prayer life was bad, that I struggled with it. And I remember talking with someone, and they asked, well, what are you trying, what are you doing? Well, you know, like I, I think about God sometimes. And so like, no, no, no. You're not struggling. You're just not trying. There's a big difference. And so what I was called to do was realize that prayer is not just something that you do when you're happy. It's not something you do just because you feel like doing it. I had to realize that if I wanted my prayer life to grow, I had to start and keep going to have some consistency. And so what I did in Novitiate was I decided to wake up at five in the morning and I would go to the chapel for 30 minutes, no matter what. Let me tell you, I hate the Mormons. <clears throat> not for me, but I did it. And it was not good in the, in the beginning. <clears throat> I did not like what was going on. And I didn't feel anything, but I did it for a month. And I did it for two months. You're a lifesaver. <laughs> Love you. So I did it for a month and a couple months, and it got to this one point. I stayed up really late for some reason. I don't know why. I thought, you know what? I'll just skip prayer in the morning. I, I just won't do it anymore. Um, I'll do it later in the day, right? You know, I, it's crazy. I'm not feeling anything. It's five in the morning. The next morning, I woke up. At 4.55, with no alarm. And my first experience was, that was a miracle. God is just calling me to himself. And I honestly believe that is what God was doing. But you also see what's working underneath here, right? I had done it so many times. I had trained my body and my spirit and my soul to want to pray, that I couldn't not pray anymore at that time. And you can say circadian rhythm, science, whatever. Yes, that's the point, right? That doesn't discount the miracle. It shows that it takes work. It shows that things pay off over time. It shows that you need to commit to something and it will have an effect that you don't just start and go right away, but habits do take place. And in fact, prayer got easier and I liked it more and virtue began to grow. Why? because I picked something and stuck to it. And so you evaluate your life and all the many other things that you do. You regularize your life, give yourself a little more discipline. You pick one thing to start with and you really commit to it. And the last one, where I'll leave you with tonight, is you have to have patience with yourself. 
Your vices did not grow overnight. You didn't just wake up one morning and say, you know what, I'm going to gossip about everyone I see today. You know what, I'm just going to have an addiction to X, Y, and Z. I'm just going to start doing that. That's not the way it worked. It started with small things, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew over years and years and years, and became ingrained into who you are. And so if you want to get over that, it's not going to happen overnight. It takes effort. It takes retraining your body and your soul and your will to want something else. And so, people come to me to confession all the time, beating themselves up, hurting themselves, saying, I'm such a terrible person, how can God love me? It's the same thing over and over again. And so I have to ask them, okay, you did this sin three times this week. Two years ago, how often did you do it? Uh, like 15 times in a week? Well, this would be progress, right? And what, imagine what you'll be like in another year if you keep going, if you keep trusting that God is with you. These things will not go away over, overnight. Virtue does not grow just because we want it to. It takes work and practice and patience. And so I leave you tonight with one of my favorite prayers. It's a prayer that I have to remind myself almost every single day when I become impatient with myself, with others, when I just want to be finished right now. It's a prayer from Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. And it goes, Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what only time, that is to say, grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill, will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that His hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. Most high, glorious God, we know that you, were create, you created us as your children, as your sons and daughters, and that you did that out of love. We know that you call us to holiness to be just as you are. And most encouraging of all is we know that we can, that through your Son, who took on our flesh, who came, like, came to be like us, we can become like him. It may not be true right now, it may not be true tomorrow. We pray, Lord, that we may have the fortitude to keep going and that you will be with us every step along the way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.